0: Welcome to Logos Live. I'm Robert Martin, Director of the City Bible Forum in Melbourne, and I'm your host for the show. Logos is Greek for word or message, and Logos Live engages the Christian message before a live audience in the CBD of Melbourne. And do we have a live audience here today? Yes! And we also aim to have a bit of fun. Who said exploring the big questions of life shouldn't be enjoyable? Religion and politics, a harmonious or a toxic mix? Some in our world want religion completely out of politics, yet others think that the mix is essential for a flourishing society. So what should be the relationship between religion and politics? To help us think through this question today, we have two guests who are familiar with religion and politics. Vicki Jansen is the Victorian Senate candidate for the Australian Christians Political Party. Vicky has worked in sales, recruitment, and more recently politics, where she offers a voice for core freedoms. Please welcome... Vicky Jansen. Our second guest is Barney Swartz. Barney is a senior fellow at the Center for Public Christianity and formerly the religion editor at Fairfax's The Age newspaper. Please welcome Barney Swartz. Well, welcome, Vicky and Barney. Welcome to Logos Live. Thank Thank you. you. Now, at the outset, we want to affirm that City Bible Forum and Logos Live are not endorsing a particular political party or candidate. This forum is one to stimulate discussion of the bigger questions. And the question today is a big one the relationship between religion and politics. Now, Barney, this is a controversial issue in contemporary society, isn't it?
1: It certainly is. Yeah, so why do you think that is? I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, Australians have always had a fairly delicate relationship with religion. Uh, They're happy for it to be there, but they don't want it thrust down their throat. Yep. So they've resented people... uh, suggesting how they should behave for religious motives. Mm-hmm. And the second is, as we all are aware, uh, an increasingly aggressive secular approach, uh, especially in the media, mm-hmm. uh, which wants religion out of, out of everywhere except the private living room. So it
0: is obviously a controversial issue. Uh, and we'll talk a bit more about some of the reasons and the implications of those in just a moment. But we do try to have a bit of fun on Logos Live. And today we're talking with Vicky Jansen and Barney Watts about the relationship between religion and politics. So, Vicky and Barney, in today's quiz, I'm going to test you on how much you know about what people say about religion and politics. I'm not sure if you feel qualified at all. That's never been a problem. <laughs> it's never been a problem? Okay.
2: Having an opinion. Okay, no. there's
0: two questions, both multiple choice. Who said, those who say religion has nothing to do with politics do not know what religion is? Was it A, Desmond Tutu, B, Mahatma Gandhi, C, Richard Dawkins, or D, Justin Bieber? B You're going to go B, Mahatma Gandhi and Barney? I'll go A You'll go A Well, Vicky, congratulations The answer is actually B <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was Gandhi But it's interestingly that Gandhi affirmed the rightness of the relationship between religion and politics And he once said that Politics bereft of religion are absolute dirt ever to be shunned Very interesting Anyway, question two To which great social reformer was this said? God has raised you up for the good of the church and the good of the nation. God has brought you into public life and has a purpose for you. Was it A, Donald Trump? (laughs) Was it B, Mother Teresa? C, William Wilberforce? Or D, Winston Churchill? Mm, I would say C. You're going to say C. What about you? Yeah, I reckon C
1: as well. If you want to
0: pass, Bunny, I'd recommend that you go for C because C is the correct answer. So, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so, William Wilberforce, who of course, based on his Christian convictions, led the abolitionist movement, and this was said to him by John Newton. So, congratulations to both of you in our How much you know about what people say about religion and politics quiz. You both passed, and Vicky even oh. got hundred percent. So, congratulations. Oh. A big round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> So Vicky, you're a political candidate and you believe that along with people like Gandhi and William Wilberforce, that religion does have a place in politics. So what motivates you in entering politics with a party, Australian Christians? Perhaps can you share your story? Yes, I come from
2: a very challenging background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I do say sometimes that my family had a AAA rating, which refers to adultery, addiction and abuse, and sprinkled with a little bit of abandonment. So I do often say that uh, I was trained in rejection as a child, which of course is the perfect training for politics. Uh, So, you know, it's it's that kind of um, background that colours my views about the role of faith, family, and freedom, and the freedom to, I guess, be children, to freedom to have mums and dads. All those things are very important to me. I've had what I would call going through my life um, a number of what I would call truth awakenings. Yeah, just moments of truth about the situation. Um, You know, truth can be quite painful at times. And there was a time in my life in my early 20s uh, where I was just in Sydney looking over the great expensive harbour And uh, just had this revelation, if you like, that um, I was rotten to the core. You know, I just saw how terribly selfish that I was. And I think that we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace and others a bit of grace when they're very selfish. Because if your whole life's been about Mm self-preservation, well, then the natural end is selfishness. And I actually saw that.
0: Was there anything that
2: prompted that? Actually, probably there was somebody pointing out something that I had my... Uh, carelessness Mm -hmm. and it made me think about myself and um, I really realized that I didn't care about anyone else because you know I served the unholy trinity of me myself and I it was a full-time job and uh, so I think that I got face to face with my own selfishness it was a truth moment and sometimes people do speak into your life and even though it's painful if it's true it can transform you so you know when you've been put into a highly dysfunctional family. My mother was an alcoholic, never met my father, my brother committed suicide, all these sorts of things. Uh, you're highly dysfunctional, but you can still have a choice, which is why I'm really a big voice for freedom of choice, because you can still choose to learn from what you've suffered. Hmm. Mm.
0: So can you tell a bit more about your family experience then? So what was it like growing up in a dysfunctional family?
2: Um, lonely. Um, I've got very much a heart for children and um, I think families are the bedrock, the unit of society and I used to as a child go into other people's homes and I could sense that it was quite different to my home. I could see the family photo I could see the mum, the dad, the brothers and sisters My brother lived somewhere else because we were always pulled apart He went to one auntie, I went to my grandparents My grandparents used to argue over me because I wasn't their responsibility Why Why didn't my mother take responsibility? Where was she? She um, never met the father, never knew my ethnicity. You know, I only remember really significant one Christmas uh, growing up, and that was a Christmas where I, everyone else had their mums and dads and I didn't have mine. So I, I say that, you know, redemption is like God giving you a new song to sing. I used to sing that song through my life, um, I'm Nobody's Child. I don't know you're probably, if you're old enough to know the words. But, uh, you know, it, it was a discovery through a series of truth moments that that's not actually true you are somebody's child, that I wasn't an accident and I was loved and I did have a heavenly father. So it changed completely everything for me. Mm. What
0: was the significance then for you not knowing your father?
2: Well, the biggest question people ask is, who am I? Everyone asks that question, who am I? Whether they're talking about, you know, in the big purpose of life or just physically speaking. I think not having a father, I felt I had to protect myself. Self-preservation, I mean, as a child, I think children look to their father for protection And I didn't have that protection. I was exposed, I was vulnerable, and I was hurt. And there was no significant adult that could provide that. Uh, So I think um, not being able to learn to be vulnerable in love, that has an implication. But, yeah, a lot to do with identity. I was 53 before I knew what my ethnicity was on my father's side.
0: And what was that like when you found out? Well,
2: it was surprising because my grandmother on the other side always told me she thought I was Greek. And that made sense to me, but I found out at 53, that I was Polish. (laughs) So it was like, you don't even know who you are. So it was quite amazing. But I also discovered I had two sisters and a brother. And so I have got an amazing story of, if you like, redemptive family stuff Mm. happening. So
0: you mentioned before that you were at this place in Sydney Harbour and you felt rotten to the core. Yes. What changed?
2: No one, you know, opened a Bible and said to me, the wages of sin are death, which is in there. Uh, No one said that to me, but I actually uh, just had this, if you like, understanding, this revelation that if I didn't change my life, I was on a path with death. I just knew it. And so I decided to change. Because I didn't have the, um, the tools of the trade, so to speak, I didn't know about God, Holy Spirit, Father, Bible, you know, none of that stuff, I didn't know anything at all, I thought, what do you do to change? My theology hadn't caught up with my experience, and I always think theology is actually important because you have to put it into a narrative, you have to put it into a system, a philosophical framework. Uh, But I just changed my behaviour, and eventually, um, I guess, if you pursue truth, you come face to face with Jesus Christ, and he renews your mind. So my theology eventually caught caught up up with my experience.
0: So what was it then that convinced you to become Christian?
2: I just got to the point where I read a little booklet, Does God Exist?, and as I read it, all, everything just fell into place and I realised, yes, that's absolutely true, I've experienced this. I think when your experience lines up with the narrative... It becomes a solid rock truth Mm. that you can stand on And I just knelt down and said a prayer and became a Christian Wow, there we go So there you go, nobody dragged me to church Was there
0: something something also about God being Father that was significant to you?
2: Yes, very much so Um, When I became a Christian, I wasn't actually focused on Jesus A lot of people, everything today is about Jesus, Jesus now uh, There's nothing wrong with that Nothing wrong with that, no, no, (laughs) I'm not saying that, no But but it's like the Father thing for me was huge And Jesus and his place in the whole relationship Came later. Mm. Initially, it was this discovery that I was the daughter of the king, the father, you know, that I had a father, that he cared for me, and understanding the father's heart. I think that was for me really mm. significant, and I think that's something missing in society.
0: And then, obviously, the fact that you had no father. Growing up, that was significant.
2: That's very significant, and of course, now with the current um, debates and so forth in the public space about family, I, with a clear conscience, could never legislate a parent out of a child's life—father or mother. I, I would feel deeply convicted that fathers are very important, mothers are very important. That this has got a lot to do with identity. That actually sexual identity is not as a major as cultural, ethnic, biological identity, that we really, you know, we've got programs like Who Do You Think You Are? You know, we've got Ancestry.com, and uh, people are seeking for their roots. And I think that this is just innate, that we want to know, who am I? Mm. You know, what's my story? How do I fit in the bigger picture? And so to uh, legislate a parent out of a child's life, we deal with it when it happens, you know, in my situation, children should be supported, families should be supported, but we don't legislate a deprivation, and I believe it is a deprivation to not actually know your heritage.
0: So you'd say then maybe you're... Personal experiences, plus obviously your Christian convictions, now lead you to try to influence public policy in the political realm.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. If you know something, therefore you'll do it. Mm. If you believe it, you'll do it. You know, how can you not be a voice for children, the most vulnerable in society? I don't feel I have an, you know, silence is not an option.
0: (laughs) Mm. Now, Barney, we'll bring you in on the conversation here. Now, you work for the Centre for Public Christianity. What do you make of the assertion to keep religion private and
1: out of the public space or of the political process? Well, firstly, I think it's profoundly undemocratic. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, some 60% of the population identify, in the sense, as Christian. Mm-hmm. Should they all be silent? Christians have a particular view of flourishing, uh, of what it means yes. to flourish, of what it means to be a good society, and they have as much right as anybody else, and anybody else also has the same right, to advocate for that position, to produce arguments for why the position is a good one. Yeah. Uh, we certainly can't get away with saying, God said it, so you must do it, anymore. Yeah. No. But that's not a bad thing. I, I don't regret the passing of that period of moral authority of the mm. church. We are now in the marketplace of ideas, and we have to argue for them sensibly, and, and, and we have a, a very good case to make. Mm. Yes, Christianity would have a space in a democracy. Precisely. But if
0: it's not a democracy, then, of course, you can exclude certain voices from public space, though, can't you?
1: One of the uh, great flaws in the secularist approach, uh, I mean, we all have misconceptions, and and I'm sure I've got plenty of my own, although (laughs) I I don't need you all to point them out today. (laughs) 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 Uh, But one of the great misconceptions is that atheists are neutral, that they have an intellectually neutral worldview, whereas Christians have, or people of any religion, Mm -hmm. have a particular bias. Do you want to elaborate on that? Well... Everybody operates from, uh, as Vicky said earlier, everybody operates out of their beliefs. Mm. And there is no such thing as a neutral worldview. We, we all have um, uh, a philosophy, a, a philosophy that what, what Thomas Quine called the, the web of belief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the core things are at the center and they, and they spread out and influence the other beliefs. And uh, none of these are neutral. So for atheists to say that they are neutral and and, and therefore can determine public policy and and, uh, all the rest of it, whereas Christians are biased and should keep their views to themselves... Uh, is is not only undemocratic, as I've said, it's dangerous and it's philosophically uh, unsafe. Yes, yeah, true. But is the way
0: public policy is debated important? As you mentioned before, you, you can't simply say that. Well, the Bible says it, therefore it's true. Therefore, it needs to be public policy. So, is the way in which public policy is debated important? Yes, uh, but
1: there are, I think there are very few Christians who would try to argue that way today. There's no doubt yes. they've argued that way in the past, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's why I say it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. because that's not an adequate way of arguing and I do think we have to produce uh, the same reasons and evidence as we'd expect from anybody who's arguing with us Mm -hmm. Uh, and we should welcome that Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Well I was just going to say our prisons are full of fatherless children and uh, uh, you've had President Obama talk of connecting fatherlessness with violent crime you had uh, past Prime Minister Julia Gillard talking about the primal bond between a mother and its baby and how breastfeeding is so important so these things are all arguments for the family Right. You know, they're all arguments for it. Um, Based so on a public good. On a public good. That yeah, this is okay. the best thing overall for society.
0: Well, some would argue that the influence of religion in the public space leads to intolerance, discrimination and unfairness and that a more decent society would progress without these influences. So Barney, how do you react to that?
1: Well, I think that there's uh, all sorts of intolerances <laughs> and, and they're usually a bad thing. I mean, there are nationalist intolerances... There are ethnic intolerances yeah. and there are religious intolerances too and certainly we've been guilty of that in the past and now we're um, still perpetrating it to some extent and we're certainly suffering it, uh, mm-hmm. th- that's, that sort of intolerance these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would prefer that, we, that uh, nobody was intolerant. I would prefer that everybody operated out of uh, reason and goodwill and so forth. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're all human and that's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah.
0: Well, why should religion impact people who are not religious? Well, it's a matter of truth, I
2: think. If there are some eternal truths, if there are some eternal goods, then um, we should be a voice for those, I suppose. Uh, you can't impose uh, a belief system on anybody, and, I, you know, Bunny and I agree, I mean... But we have to have maintain freedom of conscience, belief, speech, and association. They're the pillars of the Western free world. We don't see that in other parts of the world, and we don't want to go in that direction of this totalitarian idea that there is no good Mm. that can come from it. When clearly, you know, (coughs) we look at our volunteerism, uh, you know, all the charities, the education system, the hospitals—they were all founded, you know, initially in Australia through Christian charity. Mm -hmm. And so you can't deny that it's just a historical fact that there's been a lot of good that this do good to all is part of a theology it's not something you know it might not be a secular view that might be what I had before was selfish 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 all about me it's because of my change of heart that I care about others Hmm. Um, that makes a big difference
0: your thoughts about why religion should imp- impact those who aren't religious?
1: Well, I am a profound secularist, in fact, mm-hmm. in the sense that I think that uh, there should be no established religion or no established opposition to religion, and that a secular approach guarantees freedoms for all. So any totalitarianism is, uh, is unpleasant, as, yes. as Vicky's just said, and there have been uh, Christian totalitarianisms. Yeah. Um, go back to the, uh, the 30 Years' War in the 17th century, for example. I mean, one of the most hideous time in, in, in human history, mm. uh, came, coming from two totalitarian viewpoints. Uh, so secularism, in, understood that way, is a very important thing and religion should not impose necessarily on other people. I mean, I think freedom of conscience is one of the most important freedoms that we can yes. have and that has to be given to the atheist as much as to the Christian. Agreed. Now, a number of questions have come in, and we'll try to feed a few of them in now.
0: So the first one is to you, Vicky. Your childhood has obviously shaped you and your politics. Do you think it has perhaps given you a one-sided view of life and culture?
2: well I would be crazy to think that it hasn't shaped my views Uh, I think just as everyone else's has but I think we live in a society where a lot of people are exposed to the suffering with the things that I suffered Uh, you know children being exposed to pornography you know abuse uh, violent backgrounds you know mums and dads not there so I feel that that I can speak into that space because of that experience, just as anybody else can speak into a space and the experience that they've had. But you don't base everything on experience, but the research affirms that experience if you know what I mean.
0: Another one as well, what do you mean by legislating a parent out of the picture?
2: Well, if I was we were talking about same sex marriage for example, um, that then becomes a family. And then a family is able to have children, obviously, and so by default you then have a child that the law will be not providing the legal possibility to a mum and a dad. There will be no legal possibility uh, for that child. Well, I think that, you know, life happens and we deal with it, but we shouldn't legislate the possibility out
0: what happens if we don't believe that's the uh, model for family?
2: That's democracy. I mean, Mm -hmm. people won't vote for me. (laughs) 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 You know, uh, that's the thing. I'm just being transparent about my beliefs. My beliefs are that both mothers and fathers are incredibly important to children and stable society. I mean, we fight for the natural environment of the koala, the tree, the whale. We won't fight for the natural environment of the child. So I find that heart-wrenching myself. Because when I was growing up, you know, I was singing that song coming in, you know, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And, uh, you know, for anyone who's a product of the sexual revolution as I am, uh, you know, that Over the Rainbow Somewhere, what did, what did we dream of? We dreamt of a dad and a mum. We dreamt of a family. And somewhere over the rainbow there is a mum and a dad. I exist, therefore I have a dad and a mum, whether I know them or not. It's a fact. It's a scientific reality. I exist. I must have a dad and a mum. Where are they? So this is going to be a perplexing question all my life until I can deal with it.
0: And that was certainly a perplexing question for you. It was.
2: It was a very perplexing question
0: for me, yeah. Now, as part of Logos Live, we reflect on the scriptures, the Logos, and we're going to reflect on a section today which speaks to the nature of the Christian religion and its impact on the world. The part of the Bible we're reflecting on comes from the book of James, a New Testament letter written to the early church. And we're looking at verses 26 to 27 of the first chapter, which says... Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, verse 26 there speaks about the value of religion and its impact on the tongue. Now, Vicky, how does an aspiring politician react to the exhortation to keep a tight rein? on their tongue. (laughs) Well, you know, I've often
2: said, you know, I sometimes go to our public Australian Christians Facebook page and I'm a little bit ashamed at some of the comments that people who are calling themselves Christians are writing on our page. Um, I believe in freedom of speech, so I can't block everything. (laughs) But um, at the same time, I think it's very sad that we have to lower ourselves to just to get into the nastiness, the name-calling. You know, I just find this is very, very sad. So I think that we can still be decent. We can still, you know, I've had a drink with Fiona Patton uh, from Mm -hmm. the sex party and I can shake hands and smile and have a decent conversation, even though we're ideologically miles apart. We don't have to treat other people like this.
1: Mm. Now,
0: keeping a tight rein implies something about being measured, trustworthy and honest. Yet, Barney, politicians aren't renowned for these things, are they?
1: No. (laughs) No. Journalists are, of course. (laughs)
0: So if true religion leads to honesty and tight rein on speech,
1: perhaps we need more religion in politics. (laughs) Well, perhaps we do. Uh, I I think what that verse speaks to me about is hypocrisy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that and and, and hypocrisy is something that people are prone to, whether religious or not. uh, And we we should all be keeping a tight rein on our tongue in in that sense. Mm. Mm. And certainly, uh, but those who tell other people how to live, uh, which has often been associated with religion yeah. it 's it's, it's more egregious in a way if we 're hypocritical
0: Now Vicky is one without a father. Mm. How do you react to James 1.27 that true religion means looking after orphans and widows?
2: Mm. Well, it is talking about the fatherless and again, orphans and widows in the age that it was written at really uh, women and children were you know, very vulnerable if they didn't have a man in the house. Now, in this day and age, it's not quite the same. You know, I understand that. We are pretty well independent. Uh, we don't expect people to be robbing and pillaging and raping and killing us. So it's not quite the same. But I think there is a sense that we should be caring for the fatherless, not trying to create them. But I think, you know, I think parents are just so incredibly important and where there is a, a lack that we should support those families as much as possible. Mm.
0: And this is obviously what motivates you. Well, absolutely.
2: It, you, sh- you want to help uh, help people who um, have something missing in their life. But I think denying that it's something missing is doing a disservice. Mm.
0: Now, Barney, we can see here that there's a clear public and private elements to the, this religion or the Christian religion in that the care for the vulnerable involves a very public outcome, which is care for orphans, um, Uh, and that there is a very private purity and piety of the individual. How do you react to that?
1: I think that the uh, evangelicals in the uh, early 19th century who formed the Australian institutions that we have today understood this very well. People don't understand Governor Macquarie, for example. They wonder that he was so generous. He was motivated by his profound evangelical Christianity. Uh, Evangelicals, as Vicky has already alluded to, uh, founded our hospitals, our libraries, many of our benevolent institutions... Atheists have often told me that they can be just as moral as I can, and that's probably true. And they also tell me that they came to their moral codes by themselves, free from any Christian hint, and in that they're just deluding themselves. Because we have seen in the world um, many times non-Christian societies, I think of ancient Greece or Rome, where babies were exposed if they were inconvenient and so mm-hmm. forth, or the shame culture of Japan. Uh, if, if Christianity legacy disappears from Australia entirely, then this will be a sordid and brutish society, yes. as Tom Frame has pointed out.
0: Mm. The question that's come in, I'll just feed into that. But are Christians the only ones who can do good for society? I know of plenty other, of other people, of other faiths, or of no faith, who do plenty of good. So why do we need Christianity in politics?
1: Because Christianity gives us those principles. There's no question that many atheists are just as kind and generous and community-hearted. But nevertheless... Yes. Uh, Andrew Bolt, who's not somebody I generally agreed with when I was at the age, uh, (laughs) referred to the uh, Rwanda genocides and pointed out that 37 of the 41 aid agencies that went in there to help were Christian. Mm. It still remains that the motivation and the other-centeredness that lies at the heart of Christianity is a very important and powerful motivating factor. It will, it will be a huge loss if it gets lost.
2: Can I say also that there's a, a verse that says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And this whole idea of freedom, um, if we look all around the world and say, where do we see you know, freedom, human rights, democracy, the rule of law, where do we see it? We see it in countries that have a Judeo-Christian heritage or very strong influence. So that Christianity actually values freedom, legislates and urges, on the side of freedom, uh, because we value it. And so uh, if we cut off our public life from the roots of that, that worldview that values freedom, we just become like other nations that are totalitarian. So I think it's it's very, very important to revive our roots rather than cut them off. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So do you think that Jesus would get elected?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd get crucified. <laughs>
1: you thoughts, Barney. Yeah, uh, no chance. No chance. The <laughs> yeah, truth tellers are never popular.
0: Right. <laughs> so Vicky and Barney, religion and politics—is it a toxic mix?
2: I think it's a necessary mix. If we, um, I'll just quote Sir so Edmund Burke, who said that um, public life is just a branch of ethics. What sort of ethics do we want? Do we want a selfless kind of ethic or a selfish kind of
1: ethic? There's no question it's been a toxic mix um, in many places and many times, and if you look at somewhere like Pakistan now, uh, it's clearly a a horrendous mix. But it is by no means necessarily so. It can be an extremely benevolent mix, and it has also been that in many places and many times. It's up to us how we make it work.
0: Let me leave you with the Logos from the day, from James one twenty seven. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I look forward to you joining us next time for Logos Live. Please thank our guests today, Vicky Jansen and Barney Swartz.